How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 230. That's a lot of episodes, Zeke. That is a lot of episodes. I had someone, I get regular comments from my kids being like, you have a podcast? And then they realize how many episodes there are, and they go, that's a lot of episodes. <laughs> I get that same response when like, I tell someone, or it's mentioned, oh, you have a podcast. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And I have to quickly get it in, and I'm like, we have 230 episodes. And they're like... Oh, yeah. okay. It's a real, <laughs> it's a real player. You have, you have to get over the the hump. Yes, that little ten to twenty episode hump most people go through, and then and then you're golden. Yes, and then like it's it's like syndication in television, which is uh, I was going to tie that into a joke about the writer strike, but which is still going. But that's okay. We don't have to. It never ends. So, how's your how's your last week been? Pretty good. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's reporting time. There's a lot of. A lot to do between now and mm. the end of term, but I go on holiday in three weeks. Yeah, it's very soon. Which is very exciting for a week. Um, yeah, I think I'm pretty good. Pretty good. I was very tired at the start of today. Oh. It's always, pet peeve, always sleep really well on the Saturday to Sunday. So I wake up on Sunday feeling absolutely refreshed and mm. never sleep well on the Sunday night into the Monday. This is so. just part of like thinking about like the week starting and yeah. what you got to do. It's really, really cold, too, and I left my window oh, open, so which cold. was probably not good. No. Um, could get waking up cold, but my, not figuring out why. My room's perfect for vampires at the moment, because all the, everything's shut. The windows are all, like, there's no light coming through, and I'm, I'm all wrapped up in the blanket. There's no way I'm letting the cold or the sunlight get in. Although, to be fair, you would probably want the sun to be hitting you to get yes. some warmth. But yes. then it's blocked by the clouds that it, that that are just raining, so it all makes sense, Zeke. Eventually, yes, <laughs> my absolutely. plan to become a vampire. Well, I don't know how to segue from vampire into the film of the week. I guess there's quite a bit of blood <laughs> in the film of the week. <laughs> that is true. Um, which is the 2007 Aronofsky film, The Wrestler. Jake, do you have any fun trivia from the film of the week? I do. Yeah, believe it or not. Yeah, so I found it interesting because there's a scene in the film where. There's uh, two characters playing a Nintendo wrestling game, which very closely resembles WWF WrestleMania 1989 mm-hmm. for the Nintendo. Um, I'm guessing 64, Nintendo 64. Um, turns out that is actually a game they made specifically for this film. And, of course, it's got fictional characters in the game. Mm-hmm. So I knew there was some sort of element of uh, uh, you know, creativity there. They didn't just take a game off the shelf and play it, but... Uh, not only did they do that, but it is fully playable. So yes. the character is actually playing it for real on camera, which I think cool. is really cool because that that's not easy to do. Even a retro game like a you know an old Nintendo sixty four, like I mean, most production designers on a set they're probably used to like clothes or mm. <laughs> setting up a room, not creating video games on the fly. Yeah, it's pretty fun, isn't it? <laughs> it there's, is fun. There's a lot fact. of universe lore in this film, which I really mm. like. Um, Especially, you know, being a wrestling fan, but we'll, yes, we can touch on that in the second half of the show. But speaking of wrestling, there is a common practice, or at least an old school practice, mm. um, in which um, a player is hit, or sorry, a player, a, a wrestler player. is hit. A player in the dance, Zeke, the dance of um, wrestling. And what they do is they do this thing called blading, where they get a razor and they <laughs> slice a bit of their skin in order to bleed from the head. This is a practice that is actually banned now in WWE. I was say, yeah. Um, because there have been times where wrestlers have accidentally cut an artery while doing it, and yeah, that, that has led to... Sounds about right. <laughs> um, 
but that's only WWE. Obviously, there are other promotions that still allow it. Um, but, of course, Mickey Rourke being Mickey Rourke. <laughs> and this was the renaissance of Mickey Rourke's career. Yes, um, indeed it was. Very equivalent to another film, an Aronofsky film, that led to a renaissance of a certain actor, mm. um, which we might talk about in the first half of the show here. But, yes, Mickey Rourke being very method actually bladed himself to add realism to the role. That's so uncomfortable. I was watching that scene like, what on earth is he doing when he initially hides it underneath the the, the bandage Mm -hmm. around his wrist? And I was like, is that like a protect? I was just so confused. As someone who's not really a big wrestling fan, I didn't didn't know anything about this practice. Mm. So that was a point of fascination for me. Yeah. Um, So that's interesting to hear that and that, of course, it's banned now. Yeah, especially in, in, in w- WWE specifically. In WWE specifically, because it's a parental. They've obviously shifted from the M era, where we grew up in that sort of attitude and ruthless aggression, mm. aggression era, and now they're in the PG era. Um, people obviously still get busted open, but it's always accidental now. Very well, rarely you will actually see a deliberate blading job. It happens maybe once every couple of years. Okay. Um, Unfortunate situations. Yeah. Well, it's all for theatre <laughs> and for the fans. Well, which... that's it. Yeah, and we're going to talk a lot about the the blurring of theatre and reality in this film. And, and I think a lot of Darren Aronofsky's films in his director's corner, mm. which is very exciting. But Zeke, have you been watching anything else in this past week? Yeah, I've had a pretty good... I mean, I was not very productive at the start of the week, but definitely come home strong mm. with... Uh, two Aronofsky films I had never seen before. Okay. That being the one that, as I talked about, a renaissance of a certain actor, and that would happen to be The Whale, obviously, mm. with Brendan Fraser's renaissance role, The Brennaissance. The Brennaissance is strong. It's real. <laughs> um, it's still happening. It's funny you mention that because my birthday was this past weekend, and Kirsty bought birthday. me... Thank you. Kirsty bought me The Whale on Blu-ray as one of my presents, so... What a time to be what, alive! What, what, the Aronofsky, uh, yeah, yeah, director's corner. It's um, it's a nice present. It's an awkward movie to buy someone. I think. <laughs> um, well, she she forced a list out of me, a list of like DVDs or Blu-rays, okay. like that I and the way I was in there. So, yes. <laughs> okay. See, I don't think she's too familiar with the content of the film, <laughs> or the themes, or the message. But uh, um, yeah. yeah. So, so what know. did what did you think of it? Um, I liked it. I didn't like it as much as other Aronofsky films I had seen. Sure. Um, even one I had saw in the last week. I think, I think I kind of, I mean, I think I gave it the exact same score you gave it on Letterboxd, which yeah. is three and a half. Um, I think Brendan Fraser's obviously really strong in it. Definitely some of the lines, obviously being a film that's essentially a stage film, mm. it's set all in one um, apartment. Yep. Um, and they use, obviously, the they use every element of that apartment quite well, um, which is a little bit different to, say, other Aronofsky films that do, although are a part of people's lives and stuff, we follow them through their lives mm. rather than... Um, whereas this one was absolutely confined due to the subject um, of, you know, obviously the subject of the f- matter of the film. Yeah. Well, um, even what you're saying in terms of like, this film was more focused around the location and that characters would walk in and out and like, yes. Brendan Fraser isn't in every scene, but, y- you know, whoever's in that room at that particular time, that's who that scene's about. Mm. So I think I know what you mean in terms of something like The Wrestler where it's very much a, a, a Mickey Walk like uh, portrait, mm. so to speak, and he's in every scene, for example. 
I think there are elements I really liked. I, I walked away feeling reasonably positive. There, there were things I was a little um, perplexed, even in the stage play format. I, mm. I think there are films that are far more prolific and deal with heavy subject matter also. Um, although different subject matter, this is the first film that has ever tackled um, like morbid obesity. Right. Um, well, in the way in, that it does, I suppose. In, in a realistic way i guess not in a comical sense i mean i can't think of anything like like comedies and things like that something like norbert and stuff like that (laughs) well to be honest there's a a jack black movie where he dates gwyneth paltrow isn't it shallow how i'm not sure i think so is that the one where he sees women for what they really are or something like that i think he sees all women as beautiful regardless of what they actually look like and then so gwyneth paltrow is like really skinny but then in real life she's much heavier that's it. Oh, is that the name of the movie? Shall I How? I'm pretty sure. Okay, fair enough. Pretty sure. Fair enough. It's called. He's really good. There are some incredibly like big monologues in this. Mm. I think um, Hong Xiao's really strong in it as Liz. Yeah, um, she got nominated as well. Yeah, really and she deserved it. I think. Yeah. I think she's. In my opinion, I think she might be the uh, strong. I'm. I like Brendan Fraser's role. I think. Um. I hated Sadie Sink's character. I don't think you're supposed to yeah, like yeah, her. She's definitely a very unlikable um, character. But I think she's beyond <laughs> comprehension how deplorable she is as a person. Mm. Or, um, and I don't think the film gives it enough time to really flesh out her logic. Um, I think I it tries to tie... Mm. Obviously, Ty Simpson, Simpkins' character of Thomas gets like... It feels like it tries to rationalise that she's a good mm. person, but I, I think everything points at the opposite i think yeah um, and i it's part i think that's darren Ofsky's, darren aronofsky's scar i'm gonna i'm gonna fall victim to that <laughs> pronunciation all day today but i mean in terms of him really challenging the audience with here's a character that is just so mean and so despicable you know how are you meant to possibly like her and all you really have to go for is you know what her father did to her at an earlier stage in her life which is something you don't see on screen and you don't really feel you just kind of have to you have to create all of that empathy yourself in terms mm. of, oh, well, you know, the Brendan Fraser character, what he did to her when she was younger, does that justify her meanness today when she's sort of a young adult, late teen? Yeah. It's it, it challenges the audience in that way where it doesn't make it easier like her at all. <laughs> no. I don't think you ever actually do end up, apart from that last sort of sequence, but it's an interesting film to sort of analyse. Um, you could easily give it a whole episode to just talk about. Yeah. Um. I think he was worthy of getting his best actor nom. Mm. Um, well, between that and Austin Butler, I was very happy to see Brendan Fraser. Yeah, I think with the, with the in a in another year he might not have won it. Sure. Um, in the like you said, in the field he was in, I think it makes sense. Mm. Um, I cannot stand Elvis, so that doesn't make me feel bad. <laughs> that doesn't at help at all. Um, yeah, it's a good film. It's a mm. good film. I'm not looking to ever rewatch or re- rewatch it anytime soon. Sure, you know. But I find Aronofsky films quite—they're really good, but they're tough to palate. I guess mm. they're not palatable films. Sure. Well, a lot of them are quite gritty and uncomfortable and mm. very surrealistic. But what about you? Uh, what I've seen the last week. Yeah. Yeah. So not much. We watched uh, one film for Movies at Andy's, <laughs> which I don't have much to say about. 
The film is called Fyodor Rex. Okay. Came out in 1995. Whoopi it's a, Goldberg. It is Whoopi Goldberg and a big puppet T-Rex named Fyodor that are partners in... I was going to say partners in crime. They're police officers. They're, they're uh, like crime stoppers, I should say. Um, yeah, it's got that futuristic steampunk aesthetic despite being made in the 90s. It, no, it is not the Super Mario Brothers film. I was meant to check. I am confident that there was some crossover between the crews there because mm. the style and the tone is very similar. The quality is <laughs> also quite there, although I think Super Mario Brothers is a much better film than... Yeah. Into much better made film than this. This is just, like, uninterpretable. And the other thing as well is you've got your titular character who I'm guessing is meant to be some sort of, like... You know, big mascot. You can they can sell toys at McDonald's to the little kids, and we love Theodore Rex. And he, no, <laughs> just gets a bit creepy. He's just in like an unsettling character. Like he's got he's has like awkward pauses, and he's like kind of clumsy, and he makes like edgy, sarcastic comments. But it just comes off as like really unnerving. Like right. not not like like sweet as I think it's meant to come off as. And sometimes he gets like really angry, like. He would go from zero to a hundred really fast, <laughs> and it's just funny where he's like talking to someone, and then like his his eyes will like his eyebrows will like close in because mm. it's a it's a big puppet, so it looks hilarious when he like switches to angry face and just starts yelling at people. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> oh, goodness. it's a bit awkward. It's yeah. just an awkward kids film, pretty much. Yeah, and you could tell you could tell Whoopi was not not having fun. <laughs> I don't think she wanted to be in this film. There was, I read something about an oral agreement that she couldn't get out of. I guess like a like a Garfield situation. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, sadly the only thing I've really watched <laughs> in the last week. Not overly relevant to Darren Aronofsky, but no. uh, maybe there's some way to tie it in, Zeke. I'll find out. I'll see if there's a way to connect those dots. Oh, <laughs> uh, goodness. Well, what about you? You've seen another Darren Aronofsky film. I did. In the last week. He did. I'm going to um, keep pushing you to uh, keep pronounce Aronofsky over and over again. Oh, I'm going to do it. Well, I've got it. I've gotten written on the screen, so I'm going to just look there each time. <laughs> um, yeah, I caught uh, Black Swan. Excellent. Yes. The, I, I kind of feel like you need to see The Wrestler and Black Swan like yeah, they they're perfect companion pieces. I feel like those two films. Yeah, that's a um, it's an anxiety-inducing film. That one. <laughs> it's not a film. I, yeah, finished watching it last night and was like, yeah, cool. Maybe that's why I didn't sleep well. Maybe oh, well, there you go. That that, um, that checks out. <laughs> probably the best film I've ever seen Natalie Portman in. I'd say she's absolutely phenomenal in I it. I think that's yeah. I think that's the best film I've ever seen her in. Um, she won the Oscar for it too. So yeah, well, he's got go. a good track record, doesn't he? <laughs> um, it's almost like you get nominated, you get put in an Aronofsky film, you're almost guaranteed a, a nom at the least. Yeah, it's like Tarantino with the supporting cast. You're always going to get a supporting nom. <laughs> yeah, um, but it is a fantastic film. I think mm. it's the, it's like the ballet version of Whiplash. It's. A, <laughs> um, Obviously, it's got far more in well infer like the supernatural elements are mm. in there. Obviously, a lot of that's psychological more than anything. Yeah. Um. But just the the ick factor of mm. a lot of it. Um. And there's no other really way of describing it. I, I don't think 
any of his other films make you feel as uncomfortable. It's got that almost the the Ari Aster uncomfortable ick factor to sure, it meets yeah. a, a, even a, a Jennifer Kent ick factor. Um, <laughs> but obviously hers are um, far more like realistic. Unless it's the They're kind of brutal and in your face, but then with Black Swan, it's just kind of like the surrealistic element and then some of the things the characters do to each other is very uncomfortable. Yeah, and it was one of those... I finished watching it and went, oh, it's really... Like, I really, wow, what a film that was. And I was like, yep. I want to watch Suspiria now. I want to see, <laughs> I, I just wanted to start watching ballet films yeah, um, yeah. that are like psychological. But, geez, it's an industry. I don't, it's interesting, obviously, exploring, like, we'll talk about The Wrestler and, yep. and it's like these these interest, industries that we on the surface kind of, I mean, like, if you look at the start of The Wrestler or even in, obviously, Black Swan, it's this elegant dance number. And then mm. in, in Wrestler, it's a montage of, um, sort of 80s past archives right. and both are sort of making them appear so beautiful and, and magical and then man they just peel that world apart so quickly yeah um, well what I love as well and, and like going into the rest of that kind of had an idea of what it was going to be and already right off the bat was like this feels like almost like the masculine version of Black Swan which is like the feminine version mm. of like a deteriorating body and, you know, striving for perfection in the art form you're chasing. And like they, they go hand in hand so well together. But then the other thing I didn't even think about was like low art versus high art in the sense of, you know, reaching for perfection, uh, you know, in black Swan in terms of, you know, your peers and, and, and landing that role and everything that goes along with that versus the wrestler where it's all about, you know, the, something that's a lot more like gritty and violent and for a much, yeah. you know, it's for and, a very different audience. And <laughs> even then, like you said, it is a different for audience. Like Portman's trying to appeal to, she's trying to beat her peers mm. or she's trying to satisfy this um, incredibly pervy man who exercises his position mm. of power over them. Um, but they never, ever consider the audience really mm. in that film. Whereas in The Wrestler... It's all about the audience. It's yeah. all about the fans. Um, but we'll talk more about that. But sure, um, I'm it's really, really glad nice. you caught that. Yeah, it's nice to have that. Um, sort of having these couple of Aronofsky films ticked off to go into the um, the second half of the show. Mm. The only other f- one I caught was a documentary, and I did talk a couple of years ago about a biopic film that centered around the uh, characters that created uh, the National Lampoon magazine. And, of course, there is a docu- a companion piece documentary that goes with this, which is Drunk Stone, Stone, Stupid and Dead, I believe oh, it is. What a great name. Um, <laughs> and very sim- similar in the the sense that the bio- the uh, obviously the biopic is the dramatised version of and sure. this is what it is. And... Um, I just find the National Lampoon such an interesting concept. This this adult, raunchy, immature magazine that basically offered political satire and became so popular because nothing had the gorms to create mm. it. And, you know, this is the magazine that then goes on to create um, all of these famous comedians that we hold in our regard or basically give them their first ever platform in Bill Murray and... I mean, obviously, John Belushi before he passed away and Chevy Chase and these mm. ones who would then go on to make, well, a National Lampoon film, a couple of them, Animal House and and um, Vacation. But just 
little bits of everything, you know, how they basically were the foundation that influenced comedy culture of the mm. early 80s, which has had such a massive knock-on effect to the comedians of today. I mean, a lot of those people were the inaugural people on the first ever NBC satellite, Saturday Night Live. I was just thinking of Saturday Night Live in terms of, yeah, influence and on the overall comedy culture. I think it's so interesting, and they get a lot of pieces to camera of, of some of the inaugural sort of members and, and people that had their first sort of breaks through a national lampoon platform, whether mm. that was a magazine or or the radio show or the, the movies or the, the Saturday Night Skit Show. Yeah. And it's just interesting because then you see all the directors that it influenced and you're like, you know, people like Judd Apatow probably wouldn't exist or at least in the mm-hmm. same extent if it wasn't for something like National Lampoon. Right. Um, which is so fascinating to think about. Um, yeah. That this crude, crass humour essentially influenced a generation, the generation then we grew up with who were delivering us comedy, you know. Like your Seth Rogans and your James Francos. Yeah. They don't exist without that level, or at least not that version of them. I was going to say, like, the crudeness specifically. Yeah. 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 Interesting. And the drug comedy and the and the booze comedy and the satire, like the over-the-top satire, I don't think really existed. Is this where the sequel for Babylon takes place? <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> Potentially. We need another Hayes Code, damn it. Yeah. So it was a, it was a good, it was a good um, Very nice. Film. Where, where did you catch that? Uh, Stan. Cool. Excellent. Yeah. And did I catch anything still, else still in the last the one? old Stan no. account, which is good. No. I didn't manage to uh, catch Sweet Rhythm, which was that musical. We I was going to say, yeah, that was yesterday, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, it I was. was at a dinner, unfortunately. Yes. Um, the Aussie film. Actually, I sh- we should have mentioned that last week on the Coming to Cinemas section, Sweet Rhythm. Can't get them all, Jake. Can't get them Can't all. Can't get them all. That's Can't all right. Are they all. doing any more screenings? Um, not to my that? knowledge. Um, we might see it pop up in hopefully a couple of festivals, which would be really That'd nice. That'd be cool. Um, but yes, do you have anything else you'd like to add before we jump into the second half of the show? Um, yeah, well, actually, I've got a bit of a career update, <gasps> which I've been kind of interestingly holding onto this for a little while until it kind of was a tangible thing I could talk about. So, you know this, Zig, about, a, what, a month or two ago now? Yes. I bought my own 360 camera, the Insta360 Pro 2. You did. And, um, for, for a myriad of reasons, obviously, to contribute to my main job, which is creating VR videos for palliative care and hospitals, so I can mm-hmm. kind of, you know, boost up the number of videos we can get out using that and then using my own um, computer and that to, you know, stitch them and denoise them and edit them and do all of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing that I've been trying to wiggle my way into was real estate. And in the last week, I did my first real estate shoot with the 360 camera, which was quite a bit of fun. There you go. How yeah. about that? So it's exci- we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Was um, it through an agency or just independent? So it was like it was a friend of a friend that got me into the agency, you know, as one of the owners there. Um, and then she basically gave me an address to go to on a day. Like, oh, can you go to this address tomorrow and like just do do a bit of a trial? So it was technically a trial, and I've like paid for the the uh, I think it's called Cooler subscription, which which is where you can put all of your three sixty photographs and like tie them together, so it becomes something that you can. If you want to do a walkthrough for the house, like a virtual mm. tour, you just click on the button. It would take you to each of the rooms. Yeah. Um, so that that's where you can go, cooler.com, I believe it's called. And that's where you can create those uh, connections. But otherwise, I just quickly run the photos through Photoshop and make sure they're beautifully saturated. And uh, I like to erase the the legs. If you look down, you can see the legs of the tripod. Though, so I try and erase that as well. Um, but I did my first one then. I'm actually doing um, my brother's house 
uh, tomorrow. Excellent. Since uh, he's putting it up for rent. So where can people reach you if they need? Uh, Ooh. <laughs> I don't know, Z. Well, I guess uh, I guess my Instagram, Jake the Clicker, is probably the easiest place to contact me in terms of... Yeah, so if you need a 360 camera tours, <laughs> virtual tours in your house because it's up for inspection, hit up at Jake the Clicker on Instagram and he'll send you, I'm sure, some fancy smancy treatment or something that'll mm. make sure uh, he's the man for the job. There you go. Very exciting. So, yeah, that's something I, I bought that camera like well over mm. a month ago now and I just never mentioned it on the podcast. I mean, now's a good time to do it. Yeah. I have my second G7 rock up today. Ooh, so very nice. Two Panasonic G7s now. Excellent. My God, what a great camera. I mean, we, we've mm. been talking about the G series for a long time. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I got that super duper cheap and it's great having two of them now. Excellent. Thanks. There you go. Video a lot of, lot of options easier. now just open up for you to shoot. Absolutely. Well, mm. we're not talking about us shooting. We're talking about someone else shooting films. <laughs> Had made a whole career out of it. That's why he's our next nominated director in the director's corner. Jake, who's the director and what are we watching? Believe in Ozzyk. We're talking about Darren Aronofsky's The Wrestler. Have you seen me? Two words, three, match. Bring it. You know, with a little luck, this could be my ticket back on top. Tell me, friend, can you ask for anything? 80s, man, best ever. Guns and Roses. Crew. Yeah, then that Cobain had to come around and ruin it all. <laughs> 90 sucked. 90 sucked. These things that have comforted me, I drive away. My only faith's in the broken bones and bruises I display. Place I get hurt is out there. I'm really here. This life, you lose everything you love, everything that loves you. A lot of people told me that I'd never wrestle again. The only one who's going to tell me when I'm through doing my thing is you people here. Tell me, what do you think? What do you think about this? Huh? I don't work. Come here. <laughs> An aging wrestler struggles to keep up with life as he is too old to continue his wrestling career. He realizes that he has to come to terms with what life has to offer at this stage and move on. It's funny because, like, between Randy and between Nina from Black Swan, you know, they they succumb to the limitations of their bodies. Um, I totally understand how that feels, Zeke. Because uh, not only now am I a really old man, but it is so cold that when I go to type my notes on these films, my finger, the, the keyboard, just like hands are too cold. It's hard to type. Mm. It's tough. I get what these characters are going through, Zeke. Yeah. So do you blade yourself halfway through or have your legs cave in and turn into swan legs? Well, look. <laughs> We all have our own thing, all right? Okay. <laughs> Are yours like they'll get munted hands? Like, uh, yeah, arthritis or something. Like yeah. <laughs> you do start to feel stuff, right? I had like unexplicable pain in my chest the other day for no reason. Ooh, that's, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> so annoying. You just have weird things like that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, look, fantastic film. Mm. Um. I think it's such an interesting film because it was, I think the first ever professional wrestling film that wasn't gleamed and, and 
had the basically corporate hands all over it. Right. Um, whether that was whatever wrestling body, WWE, WCW, it was just a film that was about wrestling. And obviously I talk about it a lot with my friends, why I really like the film, because it's real. You know, mm-hmm. I've gone and watched um, wrestling, mat- like wrestling promotions that are like small-time local ones that are in little bingo halls. And right. <laughs> have that... that real small feeling to them but it's such an interesting thing and and someone who has become such a fan of the sport as an adult Mm. you know i liked it as a teenager and as a kid but i became i went away for a bit came back at like 19 20 and then started really getting invested in and i've watched like all of the documentaries and all that stuff and having this aging body and you like said that comparison between randy and 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 nina and nina um obviously both two different ages nina's only in her late 20s i Mm. think and um randy's somewhere in his mid 50s i think's the uh assumption and it is quite interesting because a lot of those professional wrestlers from the 80s and stuff yeah they didn't make it past their their 50s Mm. because of the toll on their body, the the use of, of steroids and, and in order to keep themselves looking like the macho man. Yeah. Um, Keeping up with what's required of them in that sport. But it is. It's a complete... The way he, as a director, just completely strips back the layers of, of genius and perfection to these raw, vulnerable states, mm-hmm. whether it's someone with a failing heart or someone who's... Um, basically the the trauma they're caving in on their own ego basically mm. and or they've succumbed to grief because of a death of a local uh, of a of a close person mm. um and they had already prior to that had struggled with identity issues with their their body shape it's, it's so interesting to see how he's so almost fixated on what makes us vulnerable and 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 mm. uh, what makes us weak, weak in a lot of ways? Yeah. yeah, I I definitely, especially watching the wrestler. I mean, this is the first time I watched it. I did think of Sean Baker in some ways, where he's such a great auteur in terms of creating cinema of the other and like representing communities that otherwise really aren't in big films. Mm. And I think Darren Aronofsky does a similar thing, a much more like individualistic look in that, where we we see characters that are going through these kinds of struggles. And, and yeah, looking at his filmography, so I've seen five of his films, and of course we're talking, I think we're primarily talking today about The Father and, and obviously Black Swan and The Whale, his most recent film, um, but even films like Pie and Mother, which are the other two I've seen, you know, at some point earlier in, in his career and, you know, my time of <laughs> watching films, I think that is a very strong through line, and <clears throat> that was my big takeaway from this film, is seeing a character for such a long stretch of the film, uh, go through it almost conflictless. Because mm. as much as, you know, the catalyst of this story, we get a good, you know, 30-plus minute first act where we get to see someone who, on the surface, is you know a washed-up wrestler trying to sort of uh, maintain their image and, and stay relevant, but also just kind of work and keep afloat. But is also someone, you know, Mickey Rock's performance is fantastic. He's very, he's surprisingly personable. Mm. And like you see with all the relationships he has, not not just like with um, you know Cassidy or or his daughter, for example, but it's like the kids that wake him up by banging on the the van. 
he's he's good to those kids he like pretends yeah. to wrestle with them and you know he's nice to the person doing his hair and i mean it's interesting to see someone that at first seems so comfortable in what you would otherwise think is a washed up lifestyle and also progress through most of this film trying to remove themselves from you know wrestling and and trying to live a life outside of that for the most part, I feel like he's doing a really, really good job and is really patient about his transition. And it's it's right at the end where, you know, the tragedy of the story unfolds and you realize this is a man that that can't overcome that challenge. And it's it's really sad mm. in, that, in that sense. So well, when was the first time you watched The Wrestler? Um, I think it was a few years ago. It might have been in the original or the inaugural 365 challenge. Oh, that um, sounds correct, actually. I vaguely remember you yeah, posting which, about this film. Um, yeah, I think it would have come around that time because that was, I mean, 310-odd films in that year. Mm. So Ooh. it's um sort of weird to think about that retrospectively considering I think I've only just passed 30. So it's mid-year <laughs> mark, so... I this year I'm at forty or oh, forty one, including yeah. wrestler. Yeah. So it's quite interesting to think about, but it was such a great uh sort of experience. And like you said, it it obviously covers those things about self destruction and 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 having that search of identity. I mean, identity is at the core of all Aronofsky films and, mm. and I would say identity and self destruction in hand in hand are there. Probably one of the biggest through lines um, it's really interesting because, like you said, we're basically watching someone who is having this self-destruction by having those moments where it feels like they're they're improving, they're they're trying to redeem themselves, mm. and in a sense, because a lot of aspects of his life he's neglected. Like you said, he's he's had this daughter that he's been completely absent in the life because mm. he was either on the road or just trying to basically restore himself to that former glory of, of someone who would sell out a stadium. Um, and it's so interesting that I always love that these films always stay in the now. They never cut to flashbacks. Everyone mm. talks about memory, uh, things of the past and, and things that make up their characters um, just in the moment. Yeah. It's something of the past. We can't ever redeem it or bring it back. And this is the only film that sort of, out of those three, The Whale and, and Black Swan and this film where I guess, I mean, Nina's mother is sort of vicariously living through Nina, but sure. um, he gets those moments where he can like look to the crowd and and especially in that final, um, that Ring of Honor match mm. with his like old rival. Old nemesis, which, yeah. It's so crazy <laughs> in the last week, the Iron Sheik passed away who is... Basically, the oh. the basest for um, Randy's sort of uh, nemesis, this uh, Iranian sort of anti-American right, like uh, that antagonist. Sheik. Yeah, well, that was the Iron Sheik's thing. Interesting. He passed away yeah, in really like the last part- week. Wow. Yeah. So we've That's timed crazy it pretty timing pretty well. Um, there's also quite a number of WWE wrestlers in this film, mm. um, which I always quite love. When you see them, <laughs> because cameos. some of them, some of them weren't wrestling at WWE at the time, and then go on to wrestle in WWE. And now I've actually left, and some wrestle for AEW, and it's really cool. And obviously, having the finale in a Ring of Honor, mm. which is a proper real promotion too. 
Um, it's not a made-up one. Yeah, that ring, like the visually, was so distinct compared to all the other rings we'd seen. Yeah, this which film. were interesting. Clearly, very much just sort of fake promotions and stuff. But that final one was so awesome to see, like that authenticity there. Mm. And um, I, I think it. What I like about the film is, yeah, like I said, it keeps in the moment. I always liked, and it becomes commonplace in at least Black Swan and and this film is that tracking mid back shot yes yes um, i made a note of this because it's so i mean it's interesting like compared to his entire filmography this has to be one of his least surrealistic films in the sense that you look at something like black swan there's a lot of things that mm. happen in that film that like is that real is that grounded is that part of her psyche there's mm. a lot of and you can there's even things in the whale and pie and and obviously mother with its big religious analog that you can point to mm. this doesn't really the rest of it doesn't really have any of those moments and to your point those over the shoulder back tracking shots or the camera that just sort of follows him as he goes about his day it feels very documentary and it kind of just feels like we're watching something play out unscripted and mm. in real time it's almost like the camera's like trying to catch up to him as he just goes about his day-to-day. So I thought that was really interesting for him to have this sort of gritty 16-millimeter look to it that's not very flashy, it's not very glamorous. No. Um, and, yeah, to just completely omit those surrealistic elements. It just it feels like we're just watching the documentary on, on this wrestler. Yeah. And it, it is different, like you said, to something like The Whale, which is a stage play film in its, mm. in its blocking and it's the fact that characters move around the scene in that... And it tracks very organized way. Yeah, it's very yeah. organized way, and and then then you get something like like you said, Black Swan, where there's so many surrealistic elements there, where a lot of it is still technically grounded in in the world. It's definitely just Nina's perception of the world and her spiraling sort of psyche. Sure, um, to but it's, it's sort of blended into it, isn't it? Where like characters become yeah. anthropomorphic and. You know, we don't know who stabbed who with the glass shard and like those kinds of elements. Yeah. It's sort of tricking the audience in moments. Yeah. And I, I although I have not seen all of Requiem for a Dream, I have seen a, a, mm. at least the first, I think, 25, 30 minutes of it. And, okay. Um, you can see where that some of those sort of more distorted, surrealistic elements come from. Oh, okay. I think yeah. they echo from things like Requiem for a Dream, which is in the first 20 minutes it was trippy it was trippy it was one of those films i was like i'm not in the right mindset to sit down and watch this film i read it was um, about drugs and i was like okay i think this sort of fits in the yeah. <laughs> surrealistic realm of aronofsky um, films <laughs> yeah but obviously like i said this film is so removed from that it's just authentically real we go day to day there's no mm. um really any there are small jumps in time maybe but it, it honestly just feels like it's over the course of a month this all happens it doesn't yeah it quite a short period of time um and it like it never reels that surrealistic world he never goes into a moment when he's wrestling a match there everything's blurted out and um it's just him in that ring it's it's not really a, it's not a sports film mm. in that sense you know it, the, the the focus is not in on the sport on match it doesn't matter who wins these matches they no there's no tension in terms of who's going to win the match because mm. we see all those scenes and again to that sort of documentarian feel the scenes in the back when they're all kind of talking their plan of like okay well I'm going to do this to you you do this to me like it feels so naturalistic that yeah as opposed to something like the whale that's very play-esque and, and orchestrated mm. that we as the audience know it's like okay well they've already talked ahead of time how it's going to go back the tension comes from like 
the the blur in between what's planned and what's not planned in terms of the violence. Yeah. And, like, the toll that their bodies are all going through. It's good, because the stakes get introduced early. He's got this ticker, he's got a failing heart, he shouldn't be exerting himself, because mm. he will die. Yeah. Um, and, you know, at first he, he's averse to it, he doesn't, doesn't accept that, but eventually he, he has a moment where he goes, I have to try and find other aspects of my life to care about, and... That's when he starts to develop that the more personal relationship with his daughter Stephanie mm-hmm. and um, Cassidy, who's mm. the the local stripper he goes and sees. <laughs> um, and I really like their. I honestly love their interactions with each other. It's so yeah. um, personable. It's you know he he gets to a point where he just asks her out, and, and they, these are two characters who from a uh, obviously, a macro point of view, we go, oh well, they're just down in the dumps. They're 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 in the dregs. They're at sure. rock bottom. But they're both characters just trying to make it by. Yeah, and sort of make uh, do in their lifestyles. They both seem very comfortable in their lifestyles, at least at the start of the film. Yeah, um, and that sort of you know, Cassidy has her own journey of like how comfortable is she in this line of work, and especially as we. You know, along with um, with Randy, learn more about her personal life and how does she dress outside of the club? And oh, she has a nine year old son, and yeah, so it's it's interesting. She has her own sort of arc there, and it's interesting to see how they interweave together. And, mm. and ultimately, by the end of the film, they kind of they don't really gel. They don't really interweave. No, but she does come come. At she the end. she chases after him, but he kind of he says, "I've made up my mind. Essentially, I'm going to go on the ring and." This may kill me, but I'm going to do this. Yeah. And I think she kind of accepts that in a way. Well, there's that one shot when, and I know we're jumping sort of ahead to the end, when he looks back at the door and I don't think she's there. No. Through the crack of the door. And I think that's her sort of, she's accepted that he's, he's you know, walked through that bright beam of light, so to speak. Yeah. Um, which, is, which is kind of unfortunate because they had really great chemistry. They were really good to each other. And I and I really thought it was interesting is Cassie Cassidy almost has that line where and that, let me get the exact line she uses when they're buying clothes or they're trying to buy clothes for Stephanie. It was perfectly resonant to her situation in terms of just going it was going with your gut. That's what it was. Mm. Just go with your gut in terms of what clothes to buy for her. And that's something that I think she who's trying to abide by this rule of not dating clients or customers to just go with her gut instead. And chase after Randy. Mm. So yeah, it's a bit of an unfortunate ending there for the two of them. Yeah, but it, it's and it's one of those things. It's that realistic pursuit. It's despite the fact it it's physically and mentally harmful for a character to pursue this route. They continue to do it for mm. some semblance of of levity and closure. And mm. that's a common thread between all three of those films I've watched in the last week. Yeah. Whether it's um a character that's so grotesquely overweight that despite being fully cognizant of his grief um, and his actions, he still is willing to give up all of his money to uh, a daughter that hates him Mm. and and is also willing to just continue eating himself to death Mm. um, despite uh, other people around him trying to prevent that from happening just because yeah. he wants that closure. He wants that peace of mind. And mm. and Randy's the same in the sense that... And it speaks to that 
echo of addiction that so many of these wrestlers perform because it's such an egotistical and um, uh, grandiose uh, industry mm. and an art form to go out there and, and have such a perform being such a physical performer. I mean, these aren't just actors; they're actors, they're athletes, they're actually one of the most uh, interesting and diverse athletes or, or performers that you can ever get because they physically hurt themselves for people's amusement. Yeah, the the results are fixed, but <laughs> that's about as far but as it goes. But it's a goes. show. It's yeah. a show, and it's it's physically demanding, and they get addicted to it. They get addicted to that lifestyle, and so many wrestlers struggle so hard mm. to ever escape that to the point where they're willing to physically risk their bodies to the point where they die at very young ages. Yeah. Um, well, the other thing as well is that they're they're big influencers, mm. and not you know not in the modern TikTok sense of the word, but influencers in, in that you, kids are running up. They they love the fighting. They love the moves. Mm. They want his autograph. They want pictures taken with him. Um, and I think a shot that is kind of very underplayed, mm. but you can you can uh, look at it as a kind of harrowing is that the nine year old kid that he gives the toy to, that's the last time we see you know, him and his mum together is him playing wrestling with the dolls. And it's almost like, is he influencing an entire generation of kids to want to become fighters and just completely destroy their own bodies? The film doesn't go out of its way to make that no. that statement, but I think it's in there. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, th- that industry has come a long way with starting to look after, like, them being more self-aware. It's much like everything, mental health awareness and all that stuff yep. is... Is, is seminal now in a lot of um, professional athletes and, and what have you. But it is quite interesting that you, you bring that up mm. because, yeah, it's not just the nine-year-old kids. It's the fully grown men that grew up with yeah. these wrestlers <laughs> and are desperately clinging on to uh, a brief fragment of their childhood. Yeah. And, you know, it's like if if WWE came to Perth and a happy, I would 100% go. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it's uh, trying to grab onto like childhood and innocence or it's just enjoying it as a, as full theater. But mm. this, this film does encapsulate that and doesn't go so much into the psychological torment. It's, it's a nice marriage of the whale meets um, black swan in that sense, because right. um, I guess the whale focuses on, on those disjointed relationships between families and, and the unstoppable force of inevitability that comes with a fixation, mm. um, whatever that fixation is. Even as the father-daughter relationship is actually quite similar yeah. between these two films. I think Stephanie's far more redeemable. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, um, I don't even know if it's about redeemability in that sense. And, like again, like you said with The Wrestler, where it's not jumping back and forth in time, you just kind of have to, you know, it, you, what you see is what you get, essentially, and you sort of mm. just have to take their word for it that he was, you know, sort of an absent father and didn't look after her. Um, but to that point, she did give him a chance and he, he blows it. He he misses the dinner. And like I said, you spend a good chunk of this film feeling like it's actually lacking conflict and it's really just that one argument he has with Cassidy that leads this chain of events where he sort of inadvertently disappoints his daughter yet again by missing the day and then they have the big sort of argument and every time something like that happens, every time she rejects him or Cassidy rejects him, he goes right back into wrestling. And it usually it's on the sidelines, usually just kind of watching from afar. But it's sort of, it's it's the addict 
that is struggling to get through the uh what's the word i'm looking for the um you know what i mean like uh, that withdrawal yeah sort of aspect to it absolutely it's sad yeah <laughs> it's it is a great film and and him as a director i think that you know that was a really strong period having two back to back films like that is mm. is pretty exceptional um and i i do think that He's he's one of those directors that's had more hits and um, the misses, and I think he's sure. very good at at sort of very cynical. I think in his perception of the world, but um, you know we need some cynics in the world. They can't all be optimistic <laughs> and rosy films. I don't think he. I, I think he often. You know, it's interesting because that was what some people had right with the whale. They thought it was too exploitive or too. Um, like thought it was cynical. very like a fat phobic film. Yeah, or too was, cynical, sure. Yeah, like a film that just had nothing happy in it. It was just one bad thing after another bad thing. And but I mean, life sometimes like that, you know. I think, um, I guess the the thing with the one thing I would say about the whale was maybe that it Charlie in in that film is mm-hmm. is so optimistic sometimes or like I think it's so interesting because it's like he it's got like but he's self-aware so it's it's very hard to be like well I don't think like he would be that optimistic it's like well it's the old expression of painfully optimistic yeah and it sort of goes into that and that's a little like everything everywhere with Kihan Kwan's character where he's like just unbearably kind in in a sense Mm -hmm. and like uh, sometimes being kind can be bad in the sense that you're looking after everyone else but yourself. Yeah, yeah and I, th- I think those those what those films and especially the whales showing where he's completely, you know, everyone is trying to help him in their own ways, and he's completely rejecting their help because to him, you know, it should be everyone else that's looked after, not him, mm. because he's past his. Yeah, I mean, we can go on about the whale. I I think it's a very good film, but yeah. I think all those themes are in there, and I and I think, yeah, I think it's an interesting exploration of that he's interesting because uh, i think randy like said is such a likable character and, mm, and nina absolutely maybe isn't likable but she's very innocent and very well-meaning mm. um I mean, she's not charismatic really or anything she's just very reserved and just sort of unravels um over the film it's almost <laughs> like well she was she's like a i mean she's a, f- a finely tuned ballerina to the mm. point where she snaps basically yeah um and I think, yeah, when we come back to looking at The Wrestler, is he's such a, like I said, he's this charismatic, uh, like you said, gruff on the surface, but very well-meaning person. And, yes. And, and quietly charismatic. Like, he's the way, and that's that's Rourke's performance to a mm. T. He's so good at having that sort of smug charisma about him. Well, I think the scene that really highlights this, and I think it goes to show that I think, I think they were just filming him actually working you know, when he's at the the meat counter. And that, that just feels also organic and natural, his interactions with a lot of the, the customers that are coming. And I think a part of that was filmed just as is, with people just walking into the store and being served by him. So there was kind of like a bit of a blend between like real documentary and then um, constructed documentary. It's a yeah. little under-the-skin-esque, actually, in that I would, sense. I, I could believe that, too. Mm. I mean, especially we're talking about this. This is the guy who took a razor to his head so um 
the man just didn't mind. He oh, was well. he was swinging for the fences. He was almost throwing that meat as long as he was trying to throw his uh, well, that, acting that, career. That's a good, <laughs> but that's a great example is when he froze the meat. And I think the guy that's so like caught off guard by that, that feels like such a genuine yeah. response. Like, did you just throw my meat? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and don't say those words out of context in that order, everyone. Just... Uh, <laughs> Just, but, but like you said, I think that goes to his charismatic mm. personality. And I was so shocked to see that, that, that you know, we, we get the newspaper clippings at the start. It's almost like a radio play where like the, the cheers and the boos are all intermixed to showcase what his 20 year long career has been like to that point. So when you cut to 20 years later, he's sitting alone, kind of small in the frame. It kind of looks like almost like a, a the back of a play school mm-hmm. area. Like it doesn't look very like wrestling appropriate. <laughs> You, you you see those images in that order, and you're like, oh, this is like the washed up story. But yeah, his his personality, he's so comfortable in that lifestyle. He's perfectly fine with it. It's only when he can't live that lifestyle that his heart's about to give up is when he he starts to struggle. Yeah, and I thought that was again like another Sean Baker s sort of twist on it, where a situation that on paper sounds like really sad and depressing, you actually watch it play out in what feels like a very realistic, grounded way. Mm. And the characters aren't overtly sad. A lot of them are just sort of situated in those uh, scenarios. Getting by. Getting by, exactly. So I I think that's where this film's strength really is. And again, just that documentary feel Mm. to it, the gritty 16 What's the, like you said, all diegetic music too that really reinforces Uh, it? Oh, yeah. There is no non-diegetic music until the credits roll. And that's, Your boy, <laughs> yeah, get a bit of Springsteen in there. Get a bit of Springsteen. And I got a shout and, out while we're at it. Mark Magolis, he's like five second cameo as Lenny. Oh really? Yeah. I know. Really, I didn't notice. And then I saw him in the credits, like because he's in most of Darren Aronofsky's films. I saw a um real, not to get too tangential, but it was on Lincoln, and it was the Brian Cox cameo. Oh okay. Oh, God, I always get the names. It's Yeah, it's Brian Cox who plays Kendall, right? No, uh, it's Jeremy Strong. Jeremy Strong. Right, gotcha. Brian Cox, sorry, is, is um, Logan. Logan. Yep. I saw Brian Cox talking about Jeremy Strong's method acting. Ah, uh, okay. So, also, we... Wasn't like they mm-hmm. recorded it. He attempted... Too, by the way. I think they recorded it, but they just didn't edit it into the show. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, yeah. it was a take. It was oh, a take where he just... I got the assumption that. he went, like, to method... And he like no, 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 attempted no, no, no. <laughs> But it was um, a take. It was like, you know, take four and try something different this time. Yeah. Something like, I'm guessing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. No, um, no spoiling succession. No. Sure. Sorry. That's okay. I mean, that's very out of context. But <laughs> yeah, obviously Springsteen song. Really interesting original number right there at the end. So um, a song that's literally titled The Wrestler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know um, saying the credits. Oh, there you go. It's interesting. It's a good song. Run really right underneath, good... uh, was it Guns N' Roses? Yeah. I was very surprised. Like, wow, they actually, they got Sweet Child of Mine in there. Yeah, I'm trying to remember where Sweet Child of Mine is. It, it's playing when when in the last fight as ah. they're walking onto the... That's it, as yeah. As he's walking onto the stage. Yeah, it's such a cool... I mean... But it is, it's else? diegetic, to your point. It yeah, is diegetic. It's music. all diegetic. Yeah. It's in the world. That whole last... 20 minutes. The last 20 minutes of that and Black Swan are just like phenomenal. Well, the thing as well, and oh yeah, the Black Swan finale is superb. But what I loved about the wrestling wrestler finale, and to your point earlier, we said the tension isn't in like the matches. Who's going to win? Who's going to... Like, you know, this is the famous comeback. Everyone's there to watch these two, 
you know, enemies yeah. come at each other. And the majority steps. of the fight, he's like, are you okay, man? Are you okay? Like, we can stop this. We can call it now. And I love that because, like, yeah, that's reversing with the tensions about, like, how far is he going to take his own performance? Everyone around him is giving him an out, and he refuses to take that out. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, a phenomenal ending. Yeah, it's a, it is a phenomenal ending. Does he and die even bef- at the end? Before that, I think, I mean, it's it, it's kind of like the whale ending, isn't it? It's, it's that. Yeah, it's very similar to the whale ending. Uh, it's the <laughs> flash. I think it does flash to white, too. It, they both go, like, um. With that sound effect. My sound effect. <laughs> I, I didn't edit it. That was, that was out of Zeke's mouth. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it is quite... In, I, I would assume he's doomed no matter what. I don't know yeah. if he dies in that match, but it's. I think it's heavily implied he probably dies mm. very shortly after yeah. that match. Whether it's a, an episode on the way home or, or in a couple of days, but it's implied I think he's he's cooked his body. That yeah, point. yeah. That's um, the implication I get. And what's interesting, I read this fact and I was like, that, that's so true. As I think actually the majority of Darren Aronofsky's films end on a similar note where a character, the main character's fate is ambiguous, but also very likely that they died in that moment. Yeah. And you could say that about Black Swan, you could say that about The Whale, you could say that about Pi, you could say about almost all of his films. Yeah. Morbid. Morbid. <laughs> so I think it's very interesting. Yeah. So Jake... What was your highlight scene? My highlight scene has to go to what you mentioned earlier in terms of this film very, very rarely plays with time. There was only one scene where it does, and that is my highlight scene. It's the scene where we... It, the scene starts right at the very end of the wrestling match where they, you know, ding, ding, they call it. And then we go inside and see uh, especially Randy getting, like, patched up and he's got all the staplers in him. And then that scene is intercut with the actual fight itself, which I thought was a very interesting decision oh. to make that the scene so where we're jumping back and forth. CZW in time. stuff. That's yeah. Wait, well, you're seeing you're seeing the injury being attended to, and then you're cutting to what caused that injury in the first place, and even just and even just like the the spontaneity or like trying to figure out like why is there a dollar sign or why is there a dollar note stapled to this guy's forehead, and then like all those little elements and. Um, I thought that was a really interesting scene, especially because it comes right off the cuff. Well, it's the catalyst. That's the scene that leads to his heart failure that, that kicks off the rest of the story. So I'd, I'd say that's definitely my highlight scene. Yeah. What about yours? Well, I think for me, I mean, I've, I would say making a professional wrestling movie has always been on the, the filmmaker bucket list. Oh, I think um, okay. it's the, if anyone said to me, what sport code would you tackle for a sport film? It would be professional wrestling, 100%. Would it be AFL? <laughs> AFL is really hard. I've thought for years about how to make a good How would AFL you shoot film. that? Yeah. I think The Club did the best, that film I talked about. Oh, that was a long time ago. Who did The Club again? Was that Peter Weir? No. Always no, that definitely that wasn't Peter um, Weir. It was, it was an Aussie director. It is an Aussie director. Yeah. Um, for me, the highlight scene is actually the sort of the prelude to the finale. Um, oh, it's Bruce Beresford. Um, oh, okay. Who did a bunch of um, really cool sort of uh, 80s films. But what I, I would say, it has to be the Randy promo before the big fight with Ayatollah, um, which is when he gives that speech to the crowd and we have that oh, sweeping yeah. camera motion. It, it It's the moment of like... I guess it's essentially him walking the plank and giving his mm. 
um, sort of it's final farewell to the crowd, and it it feels so final and resolute. And what I like about that scene is there's small nuances within the sweeping sort of rotating camera action. We get a very authentic um, Ring of Honor crowd. I mm. that most definitely was not um, extras. Those were 100% authentic wrestling fans. Right. Um, and obviously that context... Kind of like a star is born, like filming an actual concert with an actual crowd. Yeah. And kind of slipping in at the end of the day. And obviously 2007, Ring of Honor's this niche, but like diehard wrestling fan promotion. Sure. Like it was always in... It was a minuscule, a small, um, being gianted by WWE, but that was where every that's where the main that's where the mainstream people went this was where the indie darlings went and mm, okay. so a lot of those fans are like super fans so it's like sundance versus oscars well i'm thinking other film festivals in particular um oh, what's that new york one they just had oh. what tribeca yeah tribeca <laughs> Let me go. Hey, well done. Yeah. <laughs> All these festivals I'll never get into. Um, <laughs> oh, we've got time. Um, yeah, we do. We do I'm officially a... too old to beat the um, Orson Welles Oscar at 25. Um, so I've got three months. You've got to hurry up, mate. <laughs> I somehow would take... I wouldn't even take an Oscar. I'd take a nomination. If I get a oh nomination... Oh, my God. A nomination would be absolutely phenomenal. That would be it. I would never need to... We just stop at that point. Just gotta, you gotta find twenty grand to, to get your film yeah, in there. Right. <laughs> That's um, all you gotta do. That's easy. Geez. But then I get to take home one of their gift bags. So you know what? I I think I only found out this year that only like the top, only like twenty people actually get the proper gift bags, like the directors and acting categories. I think are the only ones that get those gift. But bags. But if I'm director nom, that's. Oh, fair enough. I get a, I that's get a bag true. That's true. Out of that. Well, I was thinking you'd like a short film. No, you got to get a feature in there. That's what you got to do. Oh, so you can't be a director of a short film? No, no, no. I don't think so. No. That's a shame. That would have been cool. Because I remember be people making comments. Because there was an Aussie kid on the East Coast that got in for um the Ostrich short film this past year at the Oscars. And I remember people making comments like, oh, and he's going to get those gift bags. And I was like, he's not going to get a gift bag. What are you talking about? Imagine if he did. The Daniels are going to get gift bags. <laughs> Not him. What are you Even talking about? Even then, like, that'd be worth it You should get something. Come on. You were, yeah. nominated, uh, you were nominated for an Oscar. Let's yeah, do no. it. i got to give a shout out before we move on. Another scene. The one where Randy attends the meet and greet and it's mm. like all the other rest. And just like him gazing around at the others. Like, There's one with like the urine bag attached through the leg and then there's the other that's on a wheelchair. And just like that very quiet, scopophilic moment mm. of just observing all these other wrestlers that are past their prime. And yeah. I love that little moment. It's definitely haunting. Like that, that promo especially is is quite funny because I remember being, I think I was like sixteen and it was twenty fourteen or something. And the Ultimate Warrior came out and he's like in his fifties at this point. He goes and does this promo on on Monday Night Raw and and literally a week and a half later he dies of a heart attack. Like wow. he does this big impassioned promo about how the Ultimate Warrior will live forever, and a week and a half later he dies of like a cardiac arrest and it was a very similar mm. sort of promo in its context and it's like that moment where you think what well, did he know that he was right was on his last legs like it was crazily close mm. and there've been a few times like that i mean there'll be a wrestler almost every year there is a wrestler who they always say struck down before his time and it's like they're always they die in their 30s or their 40s and their 50s and you just because their body just took so much crap 
Yeah. Um, and, and, and that reminds me, not necessarily about a body taking crap. I mean, maybe it is. It depends on my memory. But, like, I did follow wrestling for a while when I was, like, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old, like the Brock Lesnar sort of era and whatnot. And I remember when Eddie Guerrero, Guerrero. died. That was... I could not believe it. Yeah, that blew my mind. Of yeah. a cardiac arrest. Okay, it was, it was a cardiac arrest. Yeah, well. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah it was, was drug-related cra- slash cardiac arrest. Yeah, yeah. I Yeah, that... I remember that vividly. Yeah. That's like, you know, I mean, how long later was it when Michael Jackson died? I mean, that's a moment everyone remembers where they were when and, he died. And-, and this is the thing, I think, and they're still to this day, I mean, with someone like Eddie Guerrero, they still bring up, I mean, it's like almost brought up every now and again because, mm-hmm. you know, Rey Mysterio still wrestles and stuff like that. Yeah, so wow. it's, you know, I know it's crazy. This man doesn't age, but it is such an interesting industry um, and an industry that I think just... Especially now, when we live in this world with with the rise, the meteoric rise of UFC and even yep. uh, YouTube celebrity boxers, um, everyone uh, kind of bo- now boogies out there wins a redemption. They're boxing, <laughs> yeah, I, and it, it's definitely gone to this moment where it's like, oh, professional wrestling is now like the third or fourth tier on that sort of spectacle sport. Right. But a lot of the theatre aspects that those now pop culturally popular things mm. come from wrestling like yeah. the ufc took the wrestling i mean the ufc owns wwe now they bought it endeavor bought it at the start That's of the year right i remember that yeah. um and a lot of those characters that the ufc they were all just copying what wwe did the only mm. difference is they're legitimate fighters sure um but then a lot of professional wrestlers are actually proper fighters too they're just right but it's more, the, it's more like performative yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's it is always interesting. I'm always a, a religious defender of, of that code because mm. they die for people's amusement, and it's that thing that we've like we talked about the 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 price of good art. I guess mm. is maybe the through line of this or obsession over good art. Would you say the wrestler is your favorite Darren Aronofsky yeah. film? Yeah, easily. It's Especially up there when, for me. Yeah, yeah. it's know. tight between that and Black Swan. Well, I think for me it. it Black Swan, and I, it's been a couple of years since I saw it for the first time. But like right off the bat, that blew my mind. That film, yeah. and I and I like I said, I think it's almost like the feminine version of like the, what this film does in terms of the masculine body deterioration. So, I think I think they're a perfect double feature mm-hmm. to to go together. And people just trying to watch Pi. I think was it Criterion or A twenty four? I think A twenty four are doing their re release. Um, and you want you want to talk about an ending where a character <laughs> hurts themselves. <laughs> Talk about talk about the drill to the head of that film. Oh my lord! <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, very interesting. I I actually like a good major. Actually, I don't think there's a single Darren Aronofsky film I dislike. You know, speaking to his his controversies, obviously, there's a lot of people who really don't like a good majority of his films. So that, that's mm. all I have to say about him. There's not a film he's made that I dislike. Although I haven't seen Noah. <laughs> there you go. Well, The Wrestler is currently out on... Nowhere. you got to rent it or buy it. There you go. I had to rent it for four ninety nine on bought YouTube. bought it from the op shop once for a dollar. Oh, That's very good. I... So you spent less on it than me, and you get to own the film. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's what's wrong. Go the op shops, man. I mean, like, the the problem is it's like I have just as big a DVD collection, but people just don't buy DVD. I mean, you had this problem with your trying to sell your Better Call Saul box set. Yeah, I just ended up having to give them away. Um... People just don't want to buy them. No, it's um, it's yeah, it's a, it's a shame. And like, look at what Disney Plus is doing lately. Look at Paramount Plus. Like, they're literally deleting movies from yeah. existence. Like, we, we tried to warn you guys. Yeah, 
and it's so you know we it's, tried to it, warn you and it's so funny because the subscription prices just keep going up they're up and up and I, I, binge is like what $16 now yeah I, uh, and I want to move man. I'll move down to the nine ninety nine and just have ads I don't care about having ads I right. mean ads that's just like watching it on TV Prime still has ads you can skip them but like they're there yeah. it's like what I already pay you <laughs> this is ridiculous yeah. I'm and the Netflix uh, password sharing thing—it's working. They've got—they've had an up t- uptick in subscribers in the last couple of weeks. So that, it looks like I'm guessing everyone else is going to go for that same route because it's working. Mm. Speaking yeah, of the monopolizing streaming platforms, <laughs> Jake, what's new streaming platforms and cinemas this week? Well, if you're still not using your uh, your ex partner's Netflix account, if you can't anymore, then you're going to miss out on a wonderful little film called Extraction 2, where Commando Tyler Rake, what a horrible name, played by Chris Hemsworth, is back from the brink of death. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to give that one a skip. Have you seen that meme? No. <laughs> the guy is filming a commercial in the theatre, and then when it ends, he very loudly says, like, yeah, I'm not going to catch that one. And then, like a few <laughs> random people laugh. I was like, that's, that's funny. Are you excited is for, that for extraction? Mm-hmm. So extraction two. Yes, extraction yeah. two. No, I mean I haven't even seen the first one. It's not great. Okay, it's yeah. I, I don't really care for the Hemsworths at all. Either of them, I think they're good looking. That's about as far as I'm pretty sure there's the third one, but <laughs> we don't care. Oh, I like I like Luke. The third oh, one, Luke Hemsworth. He's in Westworld. He was good. Oh, okay. Um, but Liam and Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, Chris is. Sm- I give Chris credit. Chris is smarter than Liam because Chris knows. <laughs> Chris knows he's pretty and he knows what yep. he's good at, okay. and he never tries to push outside of that bubble. And he's right. often the best part of terrible movies, like the Ghostbusters film. Uh, when, um, when he started leaning into his comedy. Chops. Yeah, and it, he plays a dumb blonde really mm. well, and he's. That's what he's good at. He's either playing a dumb blonde or a brute action dude. That's what he can do. Yeah. And you know what? He's got way more money than me. So clearly, that's it, right? That's that's the trick. That's, that's the trick. Don't try and try and be a Swiss. Not everyone's a multifaceted actor. Yeah. No, but that's fair enough. But sometimes you do get surprised. Yes. Sometimes you get surprised. I, I like when they do try and dabble. I mean, imagine if Adam Sandler just, he was like, no. I'm not good for anything else. I'll just do these comedies. Would have never got Punch Drunk Love, Uncut Gems. So you got you got to try. I True, but there is a. There but is I a, see what you mean. Yeah, with even with Sandler, those films are funny mm. to an extent. Yeah. Um, we stand for Click, by the way. We should do Click on the show. I think Click. I've never seen it. You haven't seen Click. I'm so so interested in what you think about Click because I stand by that film. Man, you should have chimed in when we were trying to work out what to watch next week. <laughs> We had this big conversation. I didn't think about Click. We're watching something a little more serious than Click, but yeah. we're going to get into that in a minute. <laughs> what else we got? Well, I'm actually really excited for this. If you, Speaking of Netflix, you have the sixth season of Black Mirror. Five new episodes come out this week. I'm excited. I like the fifth season. I don't know what everyone's mm. angry about. Uh, I've never seen it. Never, never seen what? Black Mirror? Any, any Black Mirror. What? Yeah. You've seen Bandersnatch, haven't you? Oh, yeah. I've seen that. That's it. You haven't it's seen that Black Mirror. I didn't realise it was a yeah, Black Yeah, it's Mirror like thing. a Black Mirror movie where you get to choose your... Oh, it's the only one I've seen. Holy moly. Yeah. It is a bit of a... It's It's not a even the Jesse Plemons, like, Star no. Trek thing. Wow. 
never seen all of those. Uh, that, that blows show. my mind. Yeah, it's sort of like. I mean, I've seen all of Love, Death, and Robots. I'm a big right. fan of that. Those anthology, obvious anthology sort of series. I haven't. It's probably something I, I can watch now because that would be that would be interesting to do that to just go through the whole. Because there's not there's only like three to six episodes per season. Yeah, they're all like forty minute episodes. You could smash. Oh, some are like lengthy. Some are over an hour, I reckon. Mm. But you could smash it out in a week if you really went for it. Yeah, I reckon that'd be something fun to do. Would be fun, and then you can so we can do a ranking almost because I would love to rewatch all of them. I, I every now and then I rewatch the first episode because I think it's phenomenal. Oh, we're waiting on the next show, aren't we? Really, yeah. we whatever comes next for us. I know. I need to do a little digging because there's stuff out there. Not thanks to the writer strike, mm-hmm. but there are. Uh, Coming to Disney Plus, you have the Stan Lee documentary, simply called Stan Lee, which is about his upbringing in New York and the rise of his legendary Marvel Comics characters. And yeah, I read some reviews on this one. Apparently, this is just an MCU commercial. It, it turns Think. into that very quickly. So, kind of strikes me as it. Well, the fact that yeah, it's going straight to Disney Plus. It's. <laughs> I wonder why that is. That's a shame because like Stan Lee, I imagine has an unbelievably fascinating life, and if they're going to spend half this documentary just talking about the MCU, which he, how much involvement did he have in that really? That that's a big missed opportunity. It's very true, isn't it? Mm. When you think about it. Mm. So yeah, that's oh well. we'll, we'll As if the I mean the MCU is a commercial, doesn't it? Really, because it's in pretty dire straits. All, all the films are commercials for each other, and then yeah. <laughs> and that's the end of that. So that's a shame. We'll just have to stick to reading his Wikipedia page, I guess. Yeah, for the for the true documentary in Stanley. Um, yeah, coming to Prime this week, you got the the Covenant. Oh, the, yeah, The Covenant. I think that's what it's called. Stars Jake Gyllenhaal and is directed by Guy Ritchie. Ooh. Sees a local interpreter risk his own life during the Afghan war to carry an injured sergeant, sur- sergeant across miles of grueling terrain. Why can't I read words this week, Zeke? Something's wrong with me. It is that's... quite an odd logline. Yeah, well, it seems like a little bit more serious for Guy Ritchie. Yeah. Well, like, you know, compared to, like, your snatch and things like that. Yeah, it doesn't seem to have that, like, pommy, fast pace. Yeah, it seems like an actual, like, proper, like, a war, grueling, like, 127 hours type drama. Yeah. You know. The film's called Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. Okay. Oh, you, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I did notice that on Google. Yeah, good good catch. So, yeah, that's Prime this week. So, we're seeing things good. Now, coming to cinemas, this is actually a pretty big week, Zeke. A lot of hype for a lot of these films. Some that aren't... Some not earned. Uh, DC's The Flash sees Michael Keaton return as the iconic Batman character, and also a convicted felon. Ezra Miller is also in there as a as a titular character. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have absolutely no desire whatsoever to watch this film. Neither do I. I like. I'm pretty. I'm pretty like. Yeah, you know, I will watch. I will watch Kevin Spacey movies. That's fine. Like I, I'm pretty separate the art from the artist type. I can do that. Yeah. But there's something about this. There's something about Ezra Miller and something about how much money they've spent. Just like destroying like all of DC and Warner Brothers thing. But like we need, we really need to get this person on the post. We need to get this movie out there. Just I don't know. It really bothers me. So that is a big part of the reason why I have absolutely no desire to watch this film. So he's just harassed people. Was that well, like assaulted people. 
Oh, straight nice. up like yeah assaulted and and choked people and i yes. think kidnapped people as well there's a lot there's a lot going on there so i have no yeah, desire it's sort of, to find it's sort out. of like the uh um what's his name the one who's khan what's his kang the conqueror who's... oh jonathan majors yeah yeah that's all i mean to be fair i did not watch the new creed or the new ant-man so yeah there's that yeah. as well so. Um, that's still a little like I don't know what's going on there but I do find it funny that Disney kind of have to like figure that out like oh our new Thanos build up is oh uh oh yeah. we can't do that anymore I just find that funny because I don't care about the story oh well they'll just do <laughs> stuff like Kang could be an infinite person like he he's just an avatar that's like that probably exactly what they're gonna do like what <laughs> the we multiverse seek yeah It'll be something like that. Like, um, oh, well, we have infinite Kangs, so we're just changing the Kang to someone who's not Jonathan Majors. <laughs> <laughs> Who hasn't beaten women before. The Flash will run so fast, oh, he changes no. ethnicities. <laughs> 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 it'll suddenly oh, not no. be Ezra Miller. Oh, no. It'll, it'll run so fast, it becomes the dude from DC Flash. Show. <laughs> <laughs> Grant, what's his Grant Gunston? I'm not uh, sure. You've been on that set, or you've seen it. I met him. <laughs> I walked onto that set. Still the funniest thing ever. Yeah. Walking onto that set with those 25 real big fanboys and fangirls oh, being yeah. like, oh, oh my God. Have you, have you met Grant before? And I went, who? And then I, <laughs> Grant Gunston. I've been and seen him 16 times. And then he just, right. limo pulled up next to it. Out he gets. Yep. There you go. And I was like, I took a photo with him on like a 3.2 megapixel. <laughs> I didn't have a very good camera on my phone for God knows how long. This is back in 2014 or something. Oh, it was really that long ago. 2014, 2015. Wow, yeah. Okay. But it was the coolest thing because it went from that to the other, walk to the other side of Vancouver and there were, there was shooting on Arrow. DC Arrow. Yeah, so they're all they're all there at the same time. So spot. yeah, I mean that's what it must be like to live in those towns. Is just there's films being yeah. made everywhere. There's just stars everywhere. Vancouver's basically just cold Hollywood mm. because the temperatures like twenty degrees cooler and it's always overcast, which makes it very easy for things right. like color grading and stuff. Because then they've just got a neutral color palette. Yeah. On them. Which makes it in, but it never rains. It's just overcast all the time. That's why I love shooting in Australia because the weather is completely unpredictable. Yeah. It just makes it so funzic. Yeah, <laughs> I love going from like bleach white lights to overcast yeah. or stormy. Although that being said, us shooting Skin and Blister as as much of a nightmare it was to orchestrate a, a nights only film shoot in summer. In summer, it. It did help <laughs> with lighting. We didn't have any cloud issues or anything like that. Yeah, it's true. Lighting was pretty controlled. We were never worried about rain hitting us. Or no, anything. no, exactly. Yeah. That was... Unless you were one of the actors, then the the fake rain would definitely hit you. <laughs> Still the funniest. I wonder, if uh... you know, maybe we should, uh, when you do your Skin and Blister premiere, that's the first ever oh, yeah. live recording of our podcast. <laughs> it's just the Q&A <laughs> panel for that. <laughs> Oh, no. It's funny. I read... I'm going to call myself out here. I was reading... I think it must have been a comment in the new... Oh, no, no. It was just a random video. And it was about one of the Hunger Games movies. Like, one of yeah. the later ones. And the guy was talking... Oh, he's in the video. Sorry. 
the guy in the video was talking to me. He's like, oh, I really have no experience being on film sets or anything like that. He's like, the one time was I was an extra in like the Hunger Games, like Mockingbird Part 1 or whatever it was. And he said, it felt really unprofessional because they had this scene with like fake rain and this actress was just getting rained on for several hours straight. And I was just like, oh, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. I'm formally apologizing to, to Bethany and Danny right now for what we put them through. Yeah. Uh, got a good but film it's, out it's of it. all for the art, Zeke. Yeah, it's all for the art. Got a good film out of it, hopefully. All right, so hopefully no one's watching The Flash. No. Also coming is the Disney Pixar film Elemental, a love story between a fiery young woman and a go with the flow guy in a city where fire, water, land, and air all reside together. So it's just a love story between two. It it's elements. A, it's yeah. That's it. It it kind of There's looks no like weird um, woke messaging or anything like that. Well, it's I'm, I'm sure there is like internally. Oh, okay. Like if you watch them, passive sort of progressivism. Passive progressive. Disney's classic passive progressivism. Uh, but it, it reminds me of Inside Out a lot. The art it style felt and, like Inside Out. Looking yeah. at the the trailer, and mm. I just I actually did film quote of the day, and it was a uh, Inside Out today, which was really oh funny. really, but um yeah, nice. but it, it definitely felt. Looking at, I just didn't care. Are we? Are, am I at the point where I just don't care about Pixar movies? Are we at that point where they just haven't felt um, quite fresh recently? I feel like we personally have. I I actually like Turning Red quite a bit because it did oh, feel I did like Turning it Red. did feel different to like Soul and yeah what, and did, uh, what, what else? I don't even remember what they've done. Oh, and, uh, Onward and. Yeah. Things like that, yeah. Last couple, but yeah, it's definitely not a... We haven't hit another golden age of Pixar. I don't think we're we're never going to get another golden age of Pixar, but mm. it's definitely been a quiet... I think the last 10 years has not been, for the most part, not been super interesting. Yeah, we've had a couple highs. Coco's a great film. Coco's fantastic. But other, like, other than that, and so, I, I liked Inside Out quite a bit, and... Yeah, there's, there's not a lot of bright spots. No. Past, uh, I guess, Toy Story 3 was sort of yeah. the last run, I suppose. I will say another one of my birthday presents was the Criterion 4K Blu-ray for Wally, And what a great pick that is. Oh, my God. Best film. It's the best Pixar film. I mean, I, would, I wouldn't argue. I, <laughs> I love Up, but it's part of the golden age. Yeah. Suck it, Steven. <laughs> the golden just... age of Pixar. Oh, goodness me. Um, what else is coming to cinemas this week? Uh, now, this is weird because apparently Transformers Rise of the Beast is meant to come out next week, but there were sessions of it today and today only at Hoyt's. That's a pre-screening. I guess it was a pre... But no, but there was like several different... There were like 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2.15. It was just like a regular day, so I wrote it in. And I was like, wait, nobody else is screening it for another week. Maybe it was because of Over East... Because they had a public holiday today. Uh, maybe. But it was it was like Garden City. It was a WA Cinemas. Because I yeah, filtered those all out of my but search. Do they have the same times, maybe? I don't know. I can't fathom it, to be honest. It was, yeah, it was just bizarre. It just seemed like a regular day of sessions for a new Transformers film. And then Tuesday through to like the following Thursday, maybe, nothing. Maybe it's because they could, because they've got it over east, they, could ha- they have to have it here too have to have it playing maybe um yeah I'm, I'm just really confused but i just noticed that and i'm going to mention it now we don't need to talk about transformers rise of the beast <laughs> what is this is it like the sixth one seventh e- one i, I would guess six 
Because uh, so there's there's the Shia LaBeouf films, and then is the fourth one Mark Wahlberg, mm. or is that the fifth one? So I'm looking. Is there two with Mark Wahlberg? This is it? the sixth. Yeah, this is the sixth Transformers film. Okay. Seventh, if you include Bumblebee. Right. Yeah, Bumblebee's also in there. Interesting. Okay. So if that doesn't come out this week, it comes out next week. Whoop de doo. Uh, anyway, uh, You Hurt My Feelings is a dramedy about a novelist's long-standing marriage becoming upended when she overhears her husband's honest reaction to her latest book. That's cool. That's a cool premise. I like that. And finally, The Lost Daughter, but not The Lost Daughter you're thinking of. It's an Australian documentary co-directed by and featuring Brenda Matthews, an indigenous woman who journeys to find her white family and uncover the truth about her abduction. Sounds heavy. Mm. But I love that she's a co-director. Very hands-on with the creation of this film and telling her story. So that sounds cool. So that's also playing, I think, at Luna later this week. Very good. Very good. But that's everything that's coming to streaming and cinemas this week, Zeke. So we're not catching any of that next week on the show. <laughs> no? No. No, we're, we're opting to have a look. We looked to Letterbox, Jake. To give us the solution for what we were watching next week on the show. We did. And it's actually good timing because it just got dethroned by Spider-Verse, which we talked about last week. It's not going to last very long, but uh, it is, as we predicted on the show, number one. On Actually, I'm annoyed because it, it swapped over to number one between our recording and then the episode being uploaded. Mm. So that, that annoyed me quite a bit. Um, but no, we're talking about the, uh, <laughs> I guess now, number two. For now. Letterboxd film of all time. For now. It'll be back in number one in due time. It will. But, Jack, what are we watching? Next week in the show, Zeke, we're watching Come and See. A young boy joins the Soviet resistance movement against the ruthless German forces, leading him to experience the horrors of World War II. You've seen it. I haven't seen it. Yes, this is a wow. This is a this is a film, (laughs) and we're going to talk about it. And what's so interesting? You actually suggested this. Yes. Which is so funny because yet another birthday present of mine in last week was the Criterion copy of The Ascent, which is a 70s war film that actually inspired Come and See because it was directed by the director's wife. There you go. Wow. So very interesting tie there. 
and we'll talk more about that next week. So I'm going to try and catch that as well as we watch Come and See in the next week. And I'm excited for you to experience this film too. Yes, I can't wait to be absolutely traumatized and <laughs> saddened by the state of the wars that defined our human race. But until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. <laughs> I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with Come and See.